So this evening's Dharma talk is titled was Dogen Wong. I mean, that wasn't it, was it? What was it? Confused. Was Dogen confused? Well, probably not. But I need to talk about something. So I'll pick on Dogen since he hasn't been around since the 13th century. I'm sure there are plenty of people that would defend him. But what I'm endeavoring to, to address is uh, that uh, all teachers, not just, just Dogen, but, uh, say, uh, don't, don't get attached to words and phrases, but actually uh, train, your, train your mind. We use the words and phrases to help support our practice. I use them all the time. I just recently, somebody counted how many talks I had on YouTube and I'm saying the same thing over and over and over again. So uh, I would think you guys would have got it and would not come back. But here you are. So because I can't remember anything. Uh, I've, Wrote down, oh, okay, Dogen Zenji's, uh, I have contradictions here, but, and, um, so what Dogen said, uh, his, uh, first I'll, b before I read this, I'll say that the, the Shobogenzo, which is, which is his magnum opus, is, in, in English, is, uh, runs a thousand pages, and in a couple of volumes, it's probably even more pages, and his other work that's not so well known, is the Ehe Koroku, or the extensive record, which is another eight or 900 pages. So he talked a lot. He taught a lot, a lot of words, a lot of words. And so uh, uh, just to quote him, he says, uh, do not follow the ideas of others, but learn to listen to the voice within yourself. Your body and mind will become clear and you will realize the unity of all things. So a pretty profound statement. That's a translation. I don't know who's, does anybody recognize which one of the translations we use? That is. So it doesn't matter. Still, you know, what he's pointing out, he's using words, but he's actually pointing at, uh, through the words, helping you to focus on yourself, on your mind, and get to know yourself, find out who you are. As my uh, first teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, said, uh, make friends with yourself. Get to know yourself. And another thing that he said, which I think was extremely profound and maybe not repeated too much because it's so simple, but it's be genuine. And what did he mean by that? He meant be who you are. Don't try to be somebody else. You won't find out, you won't be able to make friends with yourself if you're always in the process of trying to be some other guy or girl or, or whomever. So being genuine is hard because sometimes it's just out and out painful. And it's just out and out frustrating. And it's difficult just if you're having jealousy to come up, not to squelch it or push it down. Difficult not to just object to our emotions. The emotion comes up and it's your emotion. It's in you. It's in your brain pan. It's arising. It's yours. If there is such a thing as ownership, it's yours. Don't miss your life. This is your life that's happening. I don't care how difficult it is. 
If you cover that up with ignoring, you cover it up with blame, or blame this way, blame that way, or you cover it up with drugs, you're just postponing your enlightenment. You're postponing your awakening by missing your life, missing your life, missing your life. Don't miss it. This is why we have extensive uh, um, meditation practice facing the wall. In the Tibetan tradition, they have extensive retreat practice facing the wall in a cave for sometimes months. Milarepa, the great sage of ancient Tibet, spent his whole life in a cave, as far as we know. Not for everybody, but you, you need to know here whether you need to do this or not. And I would say, as I say to people all the time, and I'm saying now, don't do anything unless you have to. That helps you, right? That weeds out a whole bunch of stuff, doesn't it? Don't do anything unless you have to. And if you have to do it, give it everything you've got. Do it. You don't have to train your mind. Don't. Go do something else. Play tennis. Learn to ski. Skydive. That's, that's kind of threatening and entertaining at the same time. We've got some skydivers in here who skydive. Yeah, that's, that was, did you skydive? You did? Okay. I knew Michelle did because Michelle got bored after a while. Quit. <laughs> <laughs> so another uh, quote, cease, this is uh, Dogen uh, from uh, the Shobogenzo, cease from practice based on intellectual understanding, pursuing words and following after speech. So he, he's addressing those who get stuck in that and start actually trying to squeeze the intellectual understanding uh, to squeeze out some, some semblance of awakening or enlightenment. And it doesn't seem to be possible to do that. You can, you can seem extremely intelligent and erudite and very knowledgeable and remember all of the uh, things that, uh, uh, that come down to us through the centuries as the different conceptual models for the mind based on the teachings of the Buddha and teachings of the other lineage holders down through the centuries, including Dogen. But the idea is, is to help you see, this is how the mind works, passion, aggression, ignorance, those are the three, pushing, pulling, and looking away. That's how we avoid our life. That's how you stop from yourself from being who you are. At the same time, don't go the other way and completely say, no, you just have to just meditate. Don't, don't, do, don't study at all. Don't misunderstand what Dogen is saying here. Uh, you could say it, and I don't have those quotes, but he actually is saying, like many teachers have said, do, do a little of each. Study some. Study the concepts, the ideas, the... Um, the, the conceptual models of the mind. And then also uh, train your mind, stretch your awareness, strengthen your awareness so that the, the, that in, with that which the concepts or ideas are arising in is extremely spacious and not fixating or grasping or basing on hope and fear, hoping you're going to understand and fear that you won't. 
very difficult. And everyone's uh, karma, everyone's wiring, everyone's causes and conditions, everything that just even brought you in here, which may take you right out again. But anything, any, all of the causes and conditions that brought us into this, uh, you could say this lifetime, let alone this uh, practice space, are, caught, are dependently arisen. The very truth, the, one of the first things out of the Buddha's mouth was, everything is dependently arisen. What did he mean? He meant, I mean, I haven't checked with him. I don't know, he might have meant something else. But it looks like he meant that every single thing you see anywhere, including your thought patterns, your 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 memory about your uh, the dog you had when you were a child, every leaf on that tree, every sound of the drums in the distance at the high school, motorcycles, everything is dependent on everything else for its apparent singularity. You might be experiencing its singularity, but don't let that fool you. Whatever arises is going away, including the worst emotion or thought or feeling that you've had. It won't last, it can't last. But it will be prolonged if you fight with it. If you push it, push on it, or don't want it, or explain it, or try to think things about it, or whatever you may do, it will, it will seem to have, get some kind of be invigorated by that and continue to uh, hang out with you. So in this uh, in this uh, monastery, we the people who live here, which we have what nine residents right now, around eight. Uh, these people that live here are. If they want to live in this place, they're required to do sitting meditation six and a half hours a day, unless they can show me where they have to go to work because they have to eat. Isn't that why you need to work? You have to eat. But they're also required, and it's not a hard, it's not a, a mean thing. We're not going to punish anybody if they don't do that, but... Why would you be here unless you were going to follow the forms that are, that are established? And the other one is a study uh, period that's scheduled every day at noon, every weekday at noon, every Saturday at 11 o'clock, every Tuesday, Monday night at uh, 8 o'clock, and every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock, studying books, studying the material, studying Dogen. Actually, today at noon, we studied uh, uh, Dogen. So it seems to be necessary to have a little bit of a balance. Look, look at look at the concepts, the ideas, that which is supporting gives you gives the ego mind, which is always looking for something, always thinking about something. Have you noticed that you're always going here, going there, thinking about that? I like it. I don't like it. It's good. It's bad. It shouldn't. We shouldn't do that. They shouldn't do that. I shouldn't be thinking this. Oh my God, what am I thinking? On and on and on and on. We go around and around. So it seems to be necessary to give the, the ego mind, the, the self-centered mind, which is always cranking up some kind of thought pattern about something, 
based on what? Hope and fear and the three poisons of passion, aggression, and ignorance. Give it something to do besides just the the uh, whatever subconscious gossip or petty mind that it, you know it's sometimes called a, just a petty thing that's going on. If you actually look at your thought patterns, it's kind of a pettiness to it or simple situation, kind of distasteful. So, but if you're thinking about the Dharma, uh, to, if you're thinking about the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Twelve Links in the Chain of Existence, the Three Realms, the Six Realms, the Three Own Beings, or the teachings of Vasubandhu, which is 30 verses, is something you could actually contemplate the 30 verses of Vasubandhu, excuse me, which are translated out of the Sanskrit into English, and we have several translations of that. When we study that, we look at, what, three translations at a time or two? Two. Two. So just so there's a couple different ways of looking at the same uh, intention there around he's describing the way in which the mind is disturbed and the way in which it can be realized. And they're very simple concepts. So we, what we do is we take that bucket of concepts and pour that into your frontal lobe for a while. Think about that. It's like sometimes if people are extremely distressed and are having a great uh, um, turmoil in their minds and they're suffering a lot or something, you know, I might give them uh, something to do with the mind besides just being turmoil. One of the things that sometimes people do is put your hands together in a gesture of of respect and say thank you very much I have no complaints whatsoever when actually you feel like crap and you'd like to hit somebody or you'd like to blame somebody but instead because of the inspiration to train your mind the inspiration to be uplifted and sane and kind to yourself and kind to others it gets, sometimes gets in such turmoil that we we just we just need something else to to help us with that Everyone's level of distress is different. Sometimes, some of you may never do that. It may never even, it might even think that would be a silly thing to do. Just lie. Say, thank you very much. I have no complaints whatsoever. After all, one of the precepts, what is it, the third one? One of you monks tell me which one it is. <laughs> don't lie. Don't, don't say things that aren't true. But this is not true. Thank you very much. I have no complaints whatsoever when actually your mind is chattering all the time and you're feeling really upset about something, but you can't, can't stop it by pushing on it. So what, what do we do? We include. So you, the mind can go ahead and do whatever it wants to do, but we're putting uh, your bodhicitta practice, or the mind of awakening, which is the, the bodhisattva path, the path of putting others before yourself. And you work with that. Thank you very much. I have no complaints whatsoever. At the same time, you're having a bunch of rage come up in your mind. Or it could be something else. It could be, could be depression. The the the, the spontaneous realizer, Byron, Byron Katie, said something like, "How do you know something should be happening? Because it's happening." And she also said uh, something like, uh, "Whatever the most negative thing that's happening to you right this moment or any moment." 
you need to you need to look at that in such a way that have a, a willingness. This is a fundamental spontaneous generosity coming out of your heart. I can do this forever. I'm willing to be upset, miserable forever. If you can't approach your life with that way, you'll suffer. Maybe you can hide out a little bit from it. Maybe you can get a little respite here, a little respite here. But fundamentally, I think that's what needs to be done. And then again, I would say, don't do anything unless you have to. You may not have to do this. If you don't, skip on out of here. I'll see you in five lifetimes. Because you're coming back around, not, not necessarily to me or to the Buddhist path, but you're going to have to realize who and what you are. This is what karma is. The karma is a big... Uh, multi-level, multi-wheeled, multi-winged uh, contraption that is taking you toward the light. And you can struggle all you want. Yes? What's the difference between um, having the willingness to do something forever and resigning yourself to it? Resigning yourself is, is, uh, is uh, um, ignorance. It's a very subtle form of ignorance, especially if you practice a lot. We get very, very skillful at just kind of, well, I'll just, I'll just be this way. More. Yes, Shoto. What's the practice look like to have that willingness? It would depend on. Uh, on each individual, each every every person that would show up in a different way because of the different uh, the myriad forms of karma causes. I mean, you can take passion, aggression, and ignorance. And you can take what the five Buddha families or any kind of division you want to lay out there, and it's going to be very, very unique. You notice no two fingerprints are the same, no two faces are the same. You may may be similar to someone else. You know, you may be a Pisces, and he's a Pisces, but you guys are nothing alike at all other than you're both big. <laughs> big fish. <laughs> I caught a couple of big fish. <laughs> so it's, it's, very, it's very complicated. I think I've given a couple of talks called It's Complicated because when I look at it, I think, how can I simplify this? And I think, eh, this is like, I can't. I pretty much have to say, this is so complicated. That when you, if you try to do this without some kind of, shall we say, discipline, a, a not a, not a mundane path. Although mundane path will take you a long way. The mundane path, having a therapist, having somebody who's working uh, with belief that there is a solid being who can get better, that you can actually have a healthy ego. That probably will work. It probably will work for this apparent lifetime. And I'm not, I'm not here to promote. Uh, future lifetimes. I don't even believe in them. Nor do I disbelieve in them. How does the willingness to feel something forever stop the feeling of that? It may not. That's why it's so astonishing. This is what the Bodhisattva vow is about. I vow to be with all things. I vow to save all beings. I vow to put everyone before myself. You've received that vow. 
you're observing that vow. To observe that vow doesn't mean that you're going to be able to do it. You might spend a lot of time seeing how I don't really give a crap about other people. Maybe you didn't realize that till you received the vow. And then you have to think, I'd rather put myself first. What do I call that? Awareness, exactly, thank you. It's, aware, it's just awareness. There's no plus and minus to anything. If you think there is, you'll suffer. You go round and around and you bite your own tail. And if you can't find your own tail, you bite somebody else's tail. Passion, aggression, ignorance, yes. So how does having a willingness to feel something forever help to put others before ourselves? If there's a persistence, because you're in a physical realm, a very low energy, there are other realms beyond this, there are other dimensions of being, and I'm not here to convince you of anything. It's not something to believe or disbelieve. Belief and disbelief are actually destroy your awareness, either one. Either one is like, belief looks like this, Dis disbelief looks like this. And of course, ignorance is, looks like that. So it's about being aware of what's happening so that you can see all of the gaps and protuberances and interstices of the very mechanism we call confusion. It's been talked about as being the knot, the knot in the mind, the knot of the ego that is that needs to un unwind. And you can't unwind it, because if you if you grab onto it, then it's real, and then it will fight back. And so passion, aggression, ignorance, fight back. It's called duality. Dvaita. It's called believing that certain things are true and other things are false. Don't do that. Or if you do, realize you do it. Yes? When you speak of dimensions of, um, of being, different dimensions of being, is that like, um, like all of us in this room, that we are all on different dimensions of being possible? Is that what you mean by that? Or? Both that and uh, both that and even further than that. Just a way of talking about it. So because we're so materialistic, we're so hooked on this thing as being our real life, and so we try to work on getting ahead and not falling behind, and try to promote ourselves in some way. And it's also not about turning away from that and going up to the mountaintop and and meditating the rest of your life away. I'm not saying that either. What is it about the teachings of Dogen that could make us ask a question, was Dogen confused? I was just being funny. But very funny. Well, let's see. First of all, it says, do not follow the ideas of others. Listen to the voice within yourself. And yet he wrote tons and tons of, in his short life of what, 56 years, 53 years. He just was yakking all the time. <laughs> I didn't start talking about this until I was in my 60s. A little bit, but not much. Shannon was there. Did I do much teaching? Just to you. I tried to teach you stuff. <laughs> yes. What is the voice within ourselves? It's no voice. How do, how do we know to trust it or don't tr depend on it? I, I'm not going to quote him, but I'm saying don't trust it and don't distrust it. Don't believe it, don't disbelieve it. That's the middle way. 
And it's not something you can do. It's something you are. You are that. If you don't, if you stop objecting to everything or, or agreeing with things and objecting to things, everything settles down right here, right now. The past is a, an illusion. The future is an illusion. Those are just concepts that point to something that we don't know what else to do with it. It's always this. Okay, then. Watching you teach, something that comes up is how teaching is pretty specific to the person or the situation that's around you. And I'm just wondering about when the teaching seemed to be so intimately connected to the causes and conditions of that particular moment, how do they apply outside of that moment? I don't know. What do you think? I'm not sure. Nor am I. <coughs> David. School education system seems to teach us things, try to teach us things outside the moment. Is that aggression? Give me an example so I know, I think I know what you're saying, but give me an example. The other day, you pointed out my tendency to elaborate. <laughs> and now I'm asking you to elaborate. <laughs> uh, no, but also, I'm confused it like seems don't like aggression comes up yeah. in that. And, and like what? In the elaboration, yes. continuous filling up space. Okay, so is, what's your question? Is the education system kind of based on that? As far as yeah, you can yeah. see? It's not that we shouldn't learn the things we're learning, but the priority of things is so. I mean, the, the thing it should be at the top of top of the line of the arts, and they are not. They're stuffed down to some useless thing. All of the arts it should be way at the top, because that's that's uh, that's that's what's dealing with the very texture of our life, our the colors and the smells and the tastes and the, everything in our life. And it's also because I'm not very good at math. <laughs> Questions are good if you have them. Should you? You mentioned or you said that the knot of ego needs to be unwound, but you can't unwind it. Yeah. What does practice do into that knot? You're just looking at it. You're looking at it and looking at it. And slowly over time, you're not adding to it aggression, or you're not, excuse me, not adding to it passion, interpreting it, thinking about it, adding thoughts onto it, and you're not taking away from it by judging it or thinking it's wrong or it shouldn't be there, and you're not shutting off from it, looking away from it so that it continue to spin based on uh, just the trajectory that started it in the first place. It will just continue to move when, it's, when you shut away from it. When you distract yourself or look at something else, or you know, try to find something else to do. More. Is there anything that's unwinding while no. looking at it? There isn't anything. Nothing unwinding. It, 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 it just unwinding unwinds it, because what keeps it in place is is belief that it's there, or or belief that it should shouldn't be there. However you want to, any of the pushing pulling. Those three poisons, that little 
a situation that takes us in circles. That's why I say if you ask why questions, you get an answer uh, because. But if you say what is it, then you just see the not. And it's painful to look at that. I don't know if it's possible to do it. It might be. But I don't know if it's possible to look at one's own knotted up psychology in a way without pushing on it or pulling, justifying it or condemning it or shutting away from it or doing something, some kind of even microscopic meddling with it. It's, it's a very, very tiny area that we meddle with our mind and we keep that thing spinning. And it's been, been around since the beginning of this time. We've all been here forever. I'm really biased when it, I'm not saying that Byron Katie, uh, if you're familiar with her and the several other people, managed to have an, uh, an awakening. But also, she, even after she had her awakening, she didn't immediately, she spent 15 years uh, trying to understand what had happened to her. She didn't immediately start teaching people. Same thing with Ramana Maharshi, in, uh, who died in 1950. He awoke uh, somewhere in the, before the turn of the last century when he was 18 or 19, and spent 20 years in retreat before he came out and actually, you could say, set himself up as a, any kind of a teaching person. More. So the knot, that knot, you have to see the knot. If you see the knot and you don't meddle with it, do nothing with it, then, uh, then you're not separating yourself from it. And when you're not separating yourself from it, then it can begin to collapse, as everything does, because everything is impermanent. So it's, it's the separate, we see it as our problem over there, or as I'm feeling this way. That's another way of separate. I, I am feeling this. If you actually felt everything that happened to you, you would be realized, because nothing would be separate. That's, uh, what do you call that, a tall order? Any further questions? A lot of time. Gotta fill up the time. Yes. Sheldon from Union City has a question. Sheldon. He asks, is being confused the nature of being a living being? Kind of. So we all know someone somewhere probably that you met in your life that is just kind of naturally present. They don't seem to have a big, they're not even concerned about why other people are so warlike or miserable or spinning around. They're just kind of naturally there. They mow the lawn, they just kind of go along. And you could say, they might say, anyone could say, they're, they're awake, maybe. Or maybe this is just a lifetime where they get a break. You were really tortured the last time. We're going to let you just mow the lawn and go bowling. <laughs> Drink beer. I had a, a stepdad who died at, what, 70? And he spent his whole life drinking. Not, not horrible amounts, just every day. And uh, smoking, not horrible amounts, just a carton a week. 
and uh, bowling. And you thought I was going to say, not horrible amounts, but yeah, he, he bowls much. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, he and he and my mother were pretty tight, and they, they did okay. I mean, they didn't have any really difficult problems. They, they were in a time when they worked in a factory, they made good money, and they were never laid off. They never went on strike. They worked for Kellogg's right here in town, which is where I'm from. And uh, everything was fine until they both got really sick and died. And I kept going. <laughs> I don't know how. With your help. Further questions are good. I can, can yes. Often you'll, whenever you talk about Dogen, you'll say that he spoke about the absolute relative at the same time. Yes. How can the absolute be spoken? So he, he's, you can't actually speak of it, but you can talk about the, you can use the relative in such a way that it, you can see that there's something beyond that. This is what Trunk Rinpoche did also. He would, he was talking such a way that he would say something very relative, but there's a quality of that would go beyond what he said. And Dogen was able to do that. One of the one of the teachings he gave that is one that I think is quite helpful if you contemplate it for a while is I'm paraphrasing here. I don't, I don't speak Japanese, but I'm paraphrasing a particular English translation I read. That going when you go out towards the world, out towards things and do this, do that, and just are always going out towards anything, this is delusion. But when the world comes towards you, uh, this is awakening. And this is what my way of saying that is give everything your attention. Everything is happening, everything is moving. Just observe, just see what it is, watch it come towards you. Don't, don't object, don't agree, and don't shut down or look away. So, but when you go out, we're just talking about a kind of materialism. If you get involved in going out and making money and do whatever, it's all over the place. It's not that you can't do something like that, but when that becomes your priority, then we lose sight of our, uh, in our tradition, we would say of our, our Buddha nature or our awakened nature. Shut up. Can we give things our attention if we spontaneously go out towards things? Do both, yes. Because there, if there's an awareness, if you're giving something your attention, and you're moving towards it, then there's going to be awareness of that movement because you're giving it your attention. So I say, uh, don't conclude, include, don't conclude anything. You don't need to come to a decision about anything. Why haven't it, why, why have any conclusion? I'm not saying that something wouldn't begin to conclude, like, yeah, let's go to McDonald's. No, let's not go there. You know, let's, let's do, we're going to do this. There's kind of a conclusion. But the conclusion would happen out of your being able to see really clearly what the whole situation was. It would just arise. It wouldn't be like somebody's idea about it necessarily, though it could be. More? Uh, there's no concluder. There's, there's no being who's concluding anything. And the, one of the ways you can tell uh, if, if, if someone is concluding something 
and uh, just threaten them. And if they if they go to war, there was a concluder. But if they just laugh at you, then probably not. You follow me? I'm saying if somebody, if there's a, you're coming to a conclusion, I think I'm going to, uh, I don't know. I think I'm going to buy a piece of property and you're all ready for it. You got everything ready and you're gonna buy the property and then somebody takes it away from you. If you feel like you've lost something, there was a concluder. But if you think things are just doing what they need to do, I'm not saying you write a little note there about how wonderful you are to let everything happen. There's no comment about it. Follow that question? Did you see the comment clearly? Is that a comment? You mean about concluding or about there being a concluder? What are you saying? <laughs> Remind when you say this step back a quarter of an inch. Yes, I do. Just it's just about about giving something a little bit more room so you can get a more of a broader panoramic, just a more of a wide open view of it. And even then, you might not be able to conclude anything. Dallas. If everything is dependently arisen, um, is there such a thing as free will? So, free will is a concept. Couple of, free is a concept. Will is a concept. So it takes us right into a labyrinth called the thinking process. So I, you know, it's, it's a kind of a philosophical debate that existentialists have back and forth to try to see which one is, you know, if you're talking to a Kierkegaard or Albert Camus or who's that other really smart guy? Sartre. Sartre. Oh, no, the, no, not him, the German. Hegel. Hegel, yeah. Okay. Want to get a headache? Unless you have a really incredibly highly developed frontal lobe, then you could read Hegel and you could explain it to others. And I'm not mocking him. He was a, he was a nice fellow. I didn't know him, but I heard that he was pretty nice. So going in there, you could make something of that. You could turn it around and you know analyze it and maybe come up with some uh, descriptions of what's going on there. But I would say it to, to more direct, to more directly respond to your uh, your question is: there's no one to have free will. There's no person that has no identity that's having the free will. Identity is discontinuous. It's very, very deceptive because it looks like there's somebody. If you're feeling like crap, you you even say, "I feel like crap," or if you feel, however you feel, we're always describing someone who's feeling that way. But to actually have, not be separate from the feeling, that's threatening to ego because it feels like it's going to get swamped by the negativity. It's so intense to actually have anger arise and no, object, no, uh, no uh, objection because that's threatening. That means the ego could get engulfed. The ego could be the one who is, and that's, that's a further elaboration of identity that is called paranoia, commonly. So free will... 
freedom, no freedom, it's just more polarity going on. You really can't think your way into awakening or enlightenment or clarity. You have to see it because it's already the case. Everywhere I see, I look, I see the Buddha. Everywhere I look, I see awakening. I see this incredible awakening. And I also see human beings are going like this because they don't know they're awake. That's why it's called a realization. If you realize it, the work is over. You, you, may, you may go uh, open a, a restaurant in Vermont. You may become a Dharma teacher. It could be any number of things that could happen that would have nothing to do particularly with showing up as a, a know-it-all. Yes? If it helps people, you know. They'll help ask questions on behalf of others. If you read the Lankavatara Sutra, what is it? Mahamati, who is totally awake, and he's asking on behalf of people who aren't awake, he's asking questions of the Buddha. And the Buddha even says, acknowledges, thank you, Mahamati, for asking this question in order to help everybody. So he's, he's on to his game. <laughs> you aren't going to get to be a Bodhisattva that easy. Of course, Mahamati is already uh, a Bodhisattva. Question from Shane out in California. Yes. He asks, uh, you were referring to the knot of ego, I believe. Yes. Does the knot reform and collapse, reform and collapse? Yes. It does. But you won't mind because there isn't anyone to mind. It might, it might even be quite humorous, not that you end up in it with a lot of uh, giggles, but it might be just kind of interesting that, that once you see what this is, then everything is yours. Once you see what this is, then there isn't anything that isn't, everywhere you look, you see it's yours. It's just, that's yours, the wall is yours, other people are yours. This doesn't mean you, you meddle with them. They are so completely yours that you see the natural boundary between yourself and others, and you don't meddle with other people. You especially don't meddle with their confusion. You respect people's confusion so that they can awaken. So if someone comes to you and is confused, and no matter what kind of level uh, you have respect for them, you can see you can see their way of setting up boundaries for themselves, and you're respectful of that because you know that no amount of convincing, no amount of you telling them what to do, no amount, no amount of anything that you would say is going to awaken them. They would have to ask you for help. Then you can you can help them until they ask you can't help them, basically. And if you try, they'll call you on it. Get out of my life. I didn't ask for your help. Yes? What is the urge to help without permission? What is that? It's your ego. You want to be someone who helps. You separate yourself so much that when you see somebody falling down or struggling or having difficulty, you don't realize that you're not separate from them. So you care about what's going to happen but you care about it in a way that is self-centered rather than a way that is compassion. Compassion does not interfere. Compassion allows someone to die. This is a whole misunderstanding about suicide. It's totally nuts. Somebody wants to take their life, we should help them. I'm probably not going to make a few friends here. 
but we should really make sure that's what that's what they want. Yes. Isn't helping also interfering? Shouldn't you not help but help? Like, shouldn't you do both or neither? So which one do I get? Is that multiple choice? I don't know. <laughs> Ask me a straight question. I'd be happy to respond. Okay. So if someone needs help um, with anything, by helping, you so you like how you just said, we should help them. But if you help them achieve what they think they want, that is interfering. Correct? I don't know. You either? I don't know. Well, we're on the same team then. <laughs> I really don't. I, the way you put your question, I, I don't know how to respond to that in a way that would be fundamentally helpful for either one of us. Yes? So that's a pretty strong statement about if someone wants to commit suicide, we should help them. Yeah, and you might want to help them by not letting them do that. So not, don't misunderstand. I'm saying you need to help them where they're at, and you cannot see where they're at unless you know where you're at. And if you're at all confused about who you are, then, their conf then your confusion will be smeared all over their confusion, which is called projection. And instead of looking at them, you're looking at your idea of them. But don't meddle with anybody. Don't do anything unless you have to. And especially uh, if you don't see it very, very clearly. More? You follow me? It was helpful. Good. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, it's easy to misunderstand what I've said. I'm not saying if somebody wants to commit suicide that we should help them and help them commit suicide. We should help them. And that, that may end up being that. Probably not, but it could. Sure. What helps you? What? What helps you? You do. How can we help you? You're doing it. I can be a teacher unless I had a student. <laughs> so. I want to help people. I want to save all beings. I operate out of a vow that I took that a long time ago. I thought it was just something to say, but it's powerful. And it, it runs this light. <coughs> and so therefore I want others to do this. If you're ready to do this, then we can, I'll help you. If you're not ready to do this, don't do it. Do something else. Do, do something with your life. Help people. I, the thing I always say to everybody, They'll listen. Train your mind. Don't, don't, because time goes by, time goes by, and eventually this, this body mind that we love so much, so in love with it, is going down. Natural, just part of it. But before that happens, get some clarity about what this is. Not just a belief, not just an opinion, not just Buddhism. This is, I don't believe in Buddhism. If I believed in Buddhism, I couldn't practice it. The Buddha was not a Buddhist. David. 
earlier you're talking about receiving um, when we receive does eventually do things go back out again well they may the important thing uh, the, uh, you've heard me talk about this but probably I've already mentioned it but it, one of the very subtle kinds of everything is ego is very subtle so if you can operate on a very tiny level, and one of the ways you can do that to practice generosity, and you've, some of you have been saying this for weeks now once I stumbled onto this way of talking about generosity is give, which is a, a word for generosity. Give everything your attention. Don't miss anything. Every The color of everything, the shape of everything, the sound of everything, the smell, the fragrance, the movement, the the space in between the words when you're listening to your your lover, your friend, your mother, your dog, your child. Give it your attention. And actually, whatever you give your attention to, then whatever shows up, receive that. Yes? Your attention before the ignorance. Yeah, good. But if this is if this is attention and you're thinking that looks like ignorance, then you've just laminated onto it the concept of ignorance. Passion, aggression, and ignorance have to do with the, the path or the path of understanding what this is. And when you see what this is, there is no path. There is no passion, aggression, and ignorance. It's all been, the fancy word is transmuted into wisdom. Further questions? We're almost at the end. Yes. Uh, Drew in Florida. Yes, Drew. He asks, could another way of viewing let things come to you be there is no there there, just an alternate here? No. Drew's going to ask me another question, I can feel it. <laughs> it would be a better, it would be a better question had I done any explaining around that. But fundamentally helping someone is not about giving them the answer to anything. Each person has to realize this themselves. And it, feel, it can feel pretty lonely. So quite often when people start to feel lonely, they go find company or they do something else. Or they, they fill up that space with something. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to do that. Billions of people are doing that. They're living their life this way. But if you want to walk a spiritual path, then that's something you're going to have to look at as, as how you actually function relative to your passion, aggression, ignorance, relative to desire. Because desire is, according to the Buddha, Desire is the cause of suffering and difficulty. Yes? A uh, question from Jim Johnson over in Muskegon. He's got uh, two other people with him. Yes, Jim. It seems that as I practice, I see that I still want credentials or external recognizable identities. 
Am I becoming aware of my delusion? How would I follow the middle way with this? Just look at it. We all have credentials and a wish to not look this way, to look that way, or to not look. Sometimes we don't want to look self-centered, so we try to act humble. It's just a big mess. Anytime you're trying to do something else, it's a mess. Don't do something else. Just be genuine, just what you are. It says on, the, on her rock suit that I wrote on there in 2010, it says, nothing else. I didn't think that up. Nothing else, it's just this, always just this. That's why it says this on the back here, it says, as it is. What the hell does that mean, as it is? That's, that's what it means, as whatever it is, that's, that's it. There isn't anything extra. Anything extra is just that, it's extra. So if the desire for credentials comes up, don't do anything with it. Don't try to get rid of the desire for credentials. Be, be genuine, be, be the, the person who is wishing they had some credentials. Nothing lasts, especially nothing lasts if it, nothing is done with it, if you don't meddle with anything. Yes, sir. Is the extra included in as it is? Say more. Is the extra just the quality of that extra's thatness? Say more. Is that also as it is? Okay, don't have to say anymore. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's as it is. Everything is as it is. Everything is everything is as it is. If, if whatever it is, there's nothing else but that. In the Tibetan traditions, this is called rangjong. Rangjong means self-existing. It means anything you see is just totally by itself. It has no. You've transcended dependent origination. You've transcended cause and effect. You've actually it's the vow. It's the vow. The vow to be with all things is the vow that transcends karma. Because you actually leave your self-centeredness to fundamentally help everyone. That doesn't mean you interfere with them. It's like I, my comment about someone who is suicidal, help them. It doesn't mean help them take their own life necessarily. Anything else? Nothing else. Very good. Thank you so much. I'd also like to remind everybody about the donation boxes in the hallway, we appreciate, depend on your financial support. Also one, again, a reminder of this Saturday, which is our all day, and Sokozan's upcoming trip to New York, June 9th, 10th, and 11th.